Lord, thank you for the Christmas season. We sing these songs in this room. Because for most of us in the room, we mean them. We understand the meaning of the words. Thank you that we can walk through the stores in a season like this and everyone gets to hear these songs. Not everyone understands. Lord, thank you that um, you found us when we did not understand. (laughs) When these words didn't make sense to us. We knew we wanted joy. We knew we wanted peace. We just didn't know how to get it. And you came to people like us. So thank you for this beautiful message of Christmas that you come to people just like us. People who don't have it all together. People with needs. But the joy of Christmas is for people like us because you came. So we celebrate you today. Uh, Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Speak to us now through your word as we look at the Christmas story. Meet us where we need you. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to remain standing with me if you would. And um, I'll read the scripture for today. It's our practice to stand out of reverence for God's word. And we're looking at uh, the gospel of Luke, the very familiar, I think, to most people, um, even if you're not a, a normal um, Christian, if you're, not a, if you're not a church person, I think you might be familiar with this story from Luke chapter 2. The words will be on the screen, and you can follow along as I read aloud. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Well, we're in a series at this Christmas uh, called Peace on Earth. And we're looking at the Christmas story. Now, I I understand when you just say that phrase, it's easy to dismiss that phrase because honestly, that's kind of the beauty pageant answer when you get the interview and and the the beauty queen is there and, you know, what do you want? World peace, you know, peace on earth. And when we hear someone in a setting like that say that, what, what we know and the reason we easily dismiss it is because we say, well, you know, they're just saying that. That's really just some sort of pipe dream that we all know can't actually happen in the real world that you and I live in. And so here we are, though, at the message of Christmas and uh, this message from the angels to the shepherds in the field of peace on earth um, is a mirror about how we feel about peace. Because here on the one hand, We want that. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if there could be peace on earth? I mean, that would be fantastic. And then at the same time, we wrestle, I think most of us do, with feeling like maybe that's out of touch 
and impossible. Now, I, I, I hope you're in this category that you're one of the people when you at least hear that message, the message of the angels, and, and I hope you something inside of you resonates and it at least feels true to you, even if you're a person who says, I, I doubt that that's actually possible. I, I hope you're in the category of people who would say, well, I would want it to be true. Now, I think for most of us, uh, those of us who, you know, that wrestle and say, I don't, I don't know if that can happen, I, I would argue that all of our trappings at Christmas are, are for us an attempt to make peace happen, at, at least for a few weeks a year. I don't know if you're like me, you know, we decorate the house and um, have a tree, we had a, a real tree for a while, and then I got tired of vacuuming up needles, and we bought a fake tree, and so we have a fake tree, and I, I like, at some point during the, the Advent season, during leading up to Christmas, I like to turn the lights off after everybody's gone to bed, and I get a hot cup of tea, and I, I click the button to turn the lights on on the tree, and I like to just sit there, and, and I, I like to feel what I can only describe as peace come to me. I I think for many of us, though, that we think that's about as close as we're going to get. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the marginal characters in the story of Christmas. Some, yeah, the shepherds, and next week we're going to talk about the wise men. On Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about King Herod and his edict uh, to kill all the, the, the children in Bethlehem. Um, and, but those are kind of the marginal characters of the story in a way because really they wouldn't have to be in the story for us still to have the story. You know, you need, you need Mary uh, because you need a mom to have a baby, I've been told. And um, so you, you have to have Mary, right? And then you've got to have Joseph to a degree. I mean, I, I know, you know this is a uh, you know, virgin birth, and so maybe Joseph wasn't so, but, but he needs to be in the story because it's the family. And then you obviously need Jesus. I mean, those are the central characters of the story. They're, they're necessary to the story. But honestly, you could do without the shepherds. You could do without the wise men. They're kind of marginal. They're like color commentary to the story, and, and honestly, the story could exist if they weren't in it. They, they can easily be overlooked, and I think it's actually important that we pay attention to the marginal characters in the story, because I think in our current moment, our, our current present situation that we're all finding ourselves in, we need to hear about the margins, because we're in them. And this season has, uh, is just full of contradictions. And on the one hand, we need to hear about marginal people because uh, we, we live, and I, I, one person calls this um, the day of what they call project self. You know, you are on your project to make your life work, and you believe that you are the central character in your story and that everybody else is marginal to the story. They're not necessary. You are but they are marginal to the story. And so we are all trying on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter and in real life to project an image out there that says, I've, I've got this together, I've got this figured out. And so it's actually important that we hear the truth, the corrective truth that says, you know what, you're not the center of the story. I'm not the center of the story. Someone else is the center of the story. And then, on, on the other hand, we all feel the angst of wondering, though, you know, we're in this moment of, like, I think i got to make it all about me. And at the same time, we've got the angst of wondering, maybe, maybe I'm just marginal to the real story. 
Does my life matter? Does life matter? Am, am I really necessary? I mean, is this it? I've got the stuff. I've got the things. I've got, I've got everything I need. Is that it? Is that the goal of life? Is that the point of life? In my present condition, can I have peace too? Is that, is that even possible? Now, I think there are three hard questions that the Christmas story answers, and we're going to talk about them for the remainder of our time here together this morning. Um, there, here, here are the three hard questions that I, maybe you don't say them, but I, I think you feel them like I do. Number one, it's who, who can have peace? Is it just a class of people or a certain kind of person or a person in certain life circumstances that gets peace? Who, who can have peace? How in the world does peace even come into a world like ours and into a life like mine? How does that even work? And then if that were possible, then how would I get peace? I think those are heart questions, and the Christmas story answers those heart questions. So who can have peace? Well, I think you hopefully know that the text of the Christmas story uh, is in the Bible. It's not uh, in a Tom Hanks movie. Um, it's not in Elf, though that's one of my favorite movies. It's not in um, Christmas Vacation, uh, the Christmas movie. It's not, it wasn't made up in the Middle Ages as uh, some sort of medieval version of Elf on the Shelf, and so we're, we're the heirs of this a few hundred years later. Um, Christmas doesn't exist without the Bible, and this Christmas story about the first Christmas is actually a story about finding peace in the middle of a no-peace world. Now, there was unrest. If you, you don't know the history of this, so the Romans had come and they'd occupied Israel like they were doing uh, uh, across the world. They were the, the superpower of the world at the day. And one of the ways that they would win is they would exploit existing tensions, and they would find a puppet ruler, and they would install that puppet ruler. It was Herod. We'll talk about him in a couple of weeks. And so they would exploit the tensions between groups to their advantage. And um, everybody hated them for it. And there would be people who would, who would say, you know what, Rome is the superpower. I mean, I'm sure they wore hats that said, make Rome great again. You know, like, Look, let's do this. And, <laughs> and, and so they, would, they, they were in that camp, you know. And then there would be other people, the Jewish people, who would say, no, no, no. They would have banners outside their houses, and those banners would say, Jewish lives matter. You know, like, and, and so there was this very real tension and, and the, the Romans took advantage of it, and it was not peaceful. And then at the same time, there was a, a, a theological tension or a spiritual tension. Uh, David and Dana referenced it, the 400 years between Malachi, the, the Old Testament prophet, and Matthew in the, gospel, the first gospel, the first biography of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. Um, scholars call it the intertestamental period. It was people for 400 years we're wondering, where is God? Has God forgotten us? Weren't we his people? Didn't he make a covenant with us? And has God forgotten us? I mean, it was a, uh, on multiple levels, a no peace time. And so the message comes in a field to some shepherds, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, we've got to pause and look at, when we're thinking about who can have peace, who, in this story, who does it come to first? Well, verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. The message comes to the shepherds. Now, I understand 
that when you think of shepherds, because of this story and because of other passages in the Bible, we have this kind of almost warm feeling culturally about shepherds, like, oh, what a sweet and so sweet shepherds. Uh, that's not exactly how it was seen in that day. Um, if you were a shepherd, it was because you were the last one born in your family and they didn't have another job for you to do. And they're like, go take care of the sheep. You're the youngest. It's your job. Go ahead, get out there. Or it was because your family had failed and you couldn't find another job and there was nothing better for you to do. In fact, the Jewish rabbis, um, when they listed out you know, the, the, the list of thieving and cheating occupations, uh, kind of at the top of the list were the shepherds. You know, it, it would be like one of those lists you would click on on Facebook, like the 10 most mistrusted occupations, and number one would be shepherd. I don't normally do this, but as I, uh, I don't normally quote commentators, but as I'm studying, I, I read commentators on the scripture. And one commentator said this, and I thought it was just so just helpful to understand the context. We'll put it on the screen for you. It said, it's, it's worth noting that to buy wool milk or a young sheep from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. The rabbis asked with amazement how, in view of the despicable nature of shepherds, one is to explain the fact that God is called, you know, my shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. How does that work? The rabbis, a famous commentary called the Midrash, um, they, they said there's no position in the world that is so despised as the shepherd. So let me ask you, if you're, if you're a leader, I want you to just think about this with me for a second. You've got the most important message in the history of your organization. If you're a principal or you're a, um, you know, you lead a nonprofit or you're a business owner. I mean, you've got the most in, in the history of your company and the, your organization succeeding. Like this is like the message that you have absolutely got is do or die. And you want to make sure that this message is sent to the right, in the right way, in the right order, because you're thinking strategically about communication. And, and who, who is it that when you're sitting around with your staff and you're saying, now, who do we need to have take the lead on this? Uh, you're not going to go and say, let's find the people in our organization that are stealing from us and let's tell them first. Uh, you've likely heard, if you are in the leadership circles, you know, about cascading communication, you know, figure out who you need to talk to that has influence, and you communicate to this group, and then this group, and then this group. And, and, and I, maybe the Romans are the greatest example of this when there was a message the Caesar was seen as, the son, saw themselves as divine, as the son of God, and as the savior of the world. That's what they called themselves, was the name of the Caesar. And then when they had to communicate something, then they would start at the top. And they would go and they would talk to the senators and then they would talk to the very wealthy families who had status and then they would send the message to the governors and then to the military and then it might filter down to you peasants on the streets. And it was, it was always based on according to who's, who's worth more. They, were, they, weren't, they wouldn't cascade the communication and start with the liars and the cheats. Now, I want you to see the great reversal that happens in the Christmas story because the first ones to hear the good news about peace are the shepherds, not the senators. And that tells us something about who it is that can have peace. Here's the shepherds. They're overlooked. They're marginal. They're on the edge of society. Now, I, I just have some questions as I read the story. I'm like, well, why would God do that? Why, why does God choose someone like them? Well, I, I think there's... A couple of reasons. Number one, God is the pattern. If you read the scriptures, what you find out is that God does not operate according to the patterns of the world that you and I live in. And he's a different pattern. And God has a pattern of bypassing 
human pride to do what he's going to do. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in one of his letters, is called 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, he says, you know, God chose actually the weak and the nobodies and the nothings. And the, the reason, Paul says <clears throat> there in his letter, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> not COVID, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> well, the reason he does that is he says he did that on purpose to nullify the things that are. In other words, to, to bypass human pride because God does things differently. And then, then, then the second reason, I think, is, is that God is a, a, always the bringer of good news, and so he wants the good news to come first to the people who don't normally get good news. I, I don't know what your experience is of people who are different than you socioeconomically, um, ethnically. I don't know what you know or have experienced or who you've been with, but um, having pastored people who are um, very poor and uh, very much on the low end of what we would might maybe call working class today, people who are immigrants from another country, having pastored many, many families, um, I can tell you it's a, it's, a, it's a reality for people in those kinds of categories that not much good comes their way, and for them in their life experience, life is a continual fight they don't get good news. Life is basically consists of bad news. And, and honestly, if, if we're being honest here, we have, a, we have a pattern of when people are in those kinds of situations of judging them, much like we would judge the shepherds if, if we understood the context that they were in. And, and we, we assume a couple of things. We either look at people in those circumstances, <coughs> excuse me, not COVID, um, <clears throat> and we say, well, you know what? The reason they're in those circumstances is they don't understand personal responsibility and they've made bad life choices. Make better choices, come on. That's one answer. And then people kind of on the other side of of the argument about that would say, well, no, I don't know if that's really the case. I mean, they're um, they're in bad circumstances and if you were put in bad circumstances, how would it go for you? And, and there's kind of this either-or approach to how those things work, and we, we push those two realities apart. Well, I just need to tell you that the Bible doesn't have our problem, and so the Bible pushes together things that we often push apart. And the Bible, at the same time, says that you and I have personal responsibility for our life, and at the same time, um, we are in social conditions that we can't control and that affect us. And so, the Bible's very clear. You read it from you know, almost the beginning to the end, and you'll find an emphasis on the fact that you rise and you fall to a degree on your choices. Do right, and a new path can open up for you. Do wrong, and you will likely unleash a trail of tears for yourself. And if you could figure out how to take personal responsibility for your life, that can actually change everything. And so the Bible emphasizes this over and over again. And then at the same time, the Bible also says, well, now also, you need to understand that you rise and you fall to a degree on the environment that you come from. In fact, you could go to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, and this is just emblematic of the whole book of Proverbs. Uh, the, the writer of Proverbs says there, he says, whoever oppresses the poor defies their creator. Now, you, you need to understand, I, I know some of you, um, you either, you currently you would describe yourself like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm poor, or you came from poverty. I, I know my dad tells stories about just growing up just poor. 
And I, I don't know, if you came from it, you, I want you to look back for a second, but if you didn't, it's neat to think about this, because I've, I've pastored folks in this life condition. And when you, um, when you don't have enough money to make it to the end, of, literally don't have to make to the end of the month, it's just not there at all. It's not a matter of you just misspent, it's just it's, there's not enough. You make choices. And so, you know, you, you have to have toilet paper, so you go down to Dollar General and you buy the four-pack. You can't afford a membership to Costco to buy the 437-pack of, you know, toilet paper that you fill your entire car with. You, you can't afford that to get the price break. So if you add it up how much you spend if you're poor and buy toilet paper versus you, you go to Costco, you spend a lot more over time, but it's just all, that's yeah, so what I got right now. Or let's say that the, the taillight on your, your car goes out or the, the headlight goes out and, and you, you can't afford. I mean, it's your only way to get to work and the car barely runs to begin with and the, the light goes out and you go, I got to fix that. And then, then you, you can't fix it and you can't fix it and you can't fix it. And then you get pulled over and you get a ticket for it, which is more money. And then you can't pay the ticket and then it goes to court and then you get a fine and then you get pulled over and then you get another fine and it just piles up. And, and, and so you, you think to yourself, you say, okay, um, I wish I could make better decisions. I just don't know how. <laughs> and it's difficult. And, and the shepherds are kind of a, a, a convergence of both personal responsibility and, and the, the fact that you live in life circumstances. And, and they represent people who make bad decisions and at the same time were forced into them. I, I mean, I don't know how I would fare if I was in that. How would you? And when you're, frankly, when you're in the position that the shepherds were in, you honestly think that nothing good can come to you because life teaches you very quickly that you're always last and that good news is for the good people and bad news is your lot in life. So here's what, here's what works up in your heart. Is you, you start to assume, well, I guess peace is just for other people. <laughs> it's not for me. Maybe it's for, if I could make better choices, then maybe I would have peace. Or if I could have different life circumstances, then maybe I could have peace. Well, well, who can have peace? Well, the Christmas story tells us is that everyone can have peace. It's not a function of your life circumstances. And the fact that the gospel starts by coming to shepherds and not senators is the Bible's way of illustrating this. Who can have peace? You can. Well, how does peace come? Shepherds are there on the field. I've got a, a, a picture of uh, a field here outside Bethlehem with some, some sheep on it there. And um, they're, they're, um, they're there. They're watching their sheep. I don't know how you would feel if this thing in the sky <laughs> opened up. And I mean, they were, they were terrified, the text says. And the first word of the angels to the shepherds is, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, what does that mean how, how, when we think about how, how does peace come? That means that peace is an outside-in, not an inside-out job. The, the, the fear is in me, and the peace is outside of me, and the way peace comes is it replaces and pushes out the fear with peace. So it's outside-in. Now, when we even talk about peace, I mean, what are we, what are we talking about? I, I, I think when we think about peace, um, we think about what I would call inner peace. And there's, a, there's actually an outside 
perspective we're going to talk about next week as well. But inner peace is kind of like this. It's where what's inside of me is stronger than what's outside of me. So, so the inner calm that I am experiencing is greater than the outer calamity. Or the, the inside strength, the, the power, the, the sense of self, the confidence that I have is greater than whatever struggle is on the outside of me. So what's inside me is stronger than what's outside me. And, and well, how does that peace come? Well, this is the message of Christmas, and it's the same as the rest of the Bible, that the good things always come from God and from a word from God. If you were to go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and read the story of creation, the beautiful world that you and I enjoy, the leaves that fall in the fall, the grass that grows in the spring, the flowers that come up in the summer, the the writer of Genesis says that came from a word of God. The word of God came into chaos and created good news. That pattern has not changed. The, The good word has to come to us and that's how peace comes because it comes from the outside in the good things all come from God comes from a word from God so here's what the angels say in verse 10 I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people and then he goes on he says well today in the town of David that's Bethlehem a savior has been born to you and this will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger so what is the good news that's meant to cause great joy inside of me and you. Well, it's a baby. And who is the baby? It's Jesus. And, and the angels say, listen, you're going to go there and you're gonna, it's going to be a sign to you. You're, you're going to, you know, parents that have, when you have babies, if you have, um, you're getting ready to have a baby. I know there are a few um, women in our congregation getting ready to have a baby or just had a baby, you know that when you have that baby, I mean, it changes everything. Uh, it changes your priorities. It changes your pace. One of my dear friends um, lived here in Wichita for a number of years and worked in a business here in Wichita. Um, he was a manager of several locations of a business and, and worked for the guy that owned the businesses. And, and um, he'd grown up in the church and uh, over his teenage years and later in life, he just decided, you know, I don't really, I don't really need God in my life. And he kind of made a mess of things. And he said when he had his daughter, um, and he held her in his arms for the first time, he said, oh my word, I have to change my life. It was a sign to him. I have to change my life. Something from outside of his circumstances came into his circumstances because that's how peace comes. It's, it's a sign to you. It comes, it comes from the outside. It comes from God. Well, then how do you get peace? If it's for everybody and it comes from God, well, then how do you access it? How do you, how do you take peace in so that peace is inside of you and it's bigger than what's outside of you? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, just three really simple things. If you want to write these down, you're certainly welcome to do that. Um, first thing would just be simply the message of Christmas, which is go with Jesus. Peace is inseparable from Jesus. Now, I understand we're in church and I'm a Christian pastor, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and most of the people in the room are followers of Jesus, and I understand that's a unique Christian claim, but I just want to, can I suggest something to you? If you're outside, which you would, you would say, well, I'm outside of that. 
is that you've probably tried everything else for peace and it's really not lasted or it's just not working. Have you tried the, have you tried the Christ child? Have you tried Jesus? I, one way that Jesus is described is as the prince of peace. Now, if you're, if you're the prince of something, that means that you rule over something. And if you rule over something, you have that something at your disposal to give to people at any point. And if Jesus is the prince of peace, then what he has at his disposal at any moment is the ability to give you peace. But first, you got to go with Jesus. The second thing that I would just suggest that you do at Christmas is, and I think this is something for all of us, is that we've got to redefine, we've got to redefine the win. What do I mean by that? Well, we've made peace a function of our circumstances, and, and we kind of look at it, and, and we'll talk about this on the Sunday after Christmas a bit, but we kind of look at it as an outside-in thing, but we kind of go with things that are very temporary. And, and so for us, even thinking about just Christmas, for us, the win at Christmas is, you know, having all of, uh, all of the trimmings. I mean, we think it's an absolute travesty if someone at Christmas doesn't have presents and a tree and a ham and... <laughs> It's like somehow that, like it's not Christmas if you, don't, if you don't have those things. I, I'd want you to think about, um, it's famous, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol. You'll see some version of it in a, in a movie or maybe you'll go to a theater and see it. It's a wonderful story about Ebenezer Scrooge and who's this man whose heart is hard and he's full of greed and he's lost the Christmas spirit, <laughs> And then he's visited, you know, by the ghost of Christmas past and then the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas future. And, and he's shown what his life was like and what people think about him right now. And, and he's shown his future. And if you think the point of that story, which is a story pointing back to Jesus, if you think the point of that story is that he finally, his heart opens up so that he, um, people have all the things around him, then you've missed the point of the story because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that when you have a heart that's at peace, then you become the kind of person who wants to give to other people. That's, that's the point of the story. He, he redefines the win, and, and you and I have to redefine the win because here's, here's how we think about it right now. We go, okay, well, if I, have, um, if I have presents and I have lights and I have parties, it's okay if I don't have actual peace. But I just want to tell you that's not a win. You can have all of the things and not have peace and not be winning at Christmas. On, on the other side, you can have the presence and you can, have the, you can not have the presence and not have the lights and then actually have peace and that's actually the win. Now, it's just a bonus, isn't it, if you have the presence and the lights and the things and, the, and then you also have peace? That, that's just a bonus, isn't it? But what if you define the win as it's about peace? It's not about the stuff. That's why I'm, I'm really hoping that you'll take advantage of Christmas Eve and you'll come and you'll worship on Christmas Eve with us because it's about, the, it's about Jesus. It's about the peace that he gives. It's not about the stuff. It's just not. And then the third thing is just you've got to act on the gift. Just, let's just pay attention to the story for a second. So verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the, the shepherds say, well, let's, let's go to Bethlehem. 
Now, they could have done what you, a lot of us do is, you know, you heard the message of the angels and it sounds great. You know, oh, wow, it's in peace. It's wonderful. And you could sit around and talk about it and debate it and, and talk about how, you know, that might come into your life. It might not. What would be some ways to get peace and, and actually do nothing with it. But they actually put it into action. So verse 16 says, so they hurried off. They, 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 they acted on it. Don't just talk. Don't just think about it and talk to someone else about it and learn, listen to another lesson about it or another sermon. Or, do something about it. The shepherd set an example. And then verse 17, when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. Do you understand that the shepherds forever changed their destiny and reputation for every shepherd after them? You and I think about shepherds differently because of the actions of the shepherds right here, because they acted on the gift. And that's what's required of you at Christmas this year is that you've got to act on the gift. Well, the band's going to come and they're going to sing and uh, we're going to talk about sing a song about hope. And, and I want to, as they come, I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to stand with me and we'll sing together. Lord, thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you that peace is for people who are on the outside, on the margins, wondering if they matter, that peace is for us there that you are the giver of peace. <clears throat> Lord, some of us have tried many other things to get peace and we have not tried you. And would this Christmas be the Christmas that we lower the barriers in our hearts to you and allow your good news, your good message about peace to come into us? And God, we want to go with you. We want to go where you're going. We want to act on the gift that you are. Oh, may every heart prepare him room in the words of the song. So thank you. We worship you right now.